The Art of Coaching Volleyball offers live coaching clinics and a website where you can find the resources you need to become a better coach and help your players and teams improve. Founded by coaching legends Terry Laskevich, John Dunning, and Russ Rose, the Art of Coaching Volleyball's guiding principle is that there is no one right way to coach volleyball. There are many ways to be a good coach, and what works for one coach may not work for you. That's why AOC's events and website provide a variety of ideas from experienced coaches that each coach can use to chart their own path. Head to theartofcoachingvolleyball.com to check out thousands of coaching videos and explore AOC's upcoming events, like their spring clinics where you can get live training from legendary coaches John Dunning and Russ Rose. Welcome to the Volley Pod, where we're all about coaching kids volleyball. With drills, skills, and scenarios, we keep things fast, fun, and effective. Presented by the Art of Coaching Volleyball, the Volley Pod is your new source for coaching information. Good morning and welcome to the Volley Pod. We're so glad to be here with you, presented by the Art of Coaching Volleyball. How are you today, Todd? Doing well, Davis. Doing well. Excited to get started with our uh, our first skill uh, of the pod, which is attack approach, and it's uh, it's an important one for me. Uh, I think it's it's necessary when we talk about the most fun skill in volleyball, which is spiking. So I like to start with spiking. Uh, a lot of coaches get into the, oh, we got to pass in order to hit. I'm going, hey, I want to make it fun. We're going to start with spiking. So Love the it. approach is big and the approach is uh, the footwork specialized. Yep. So it takes some time to teach kids how to do it. And then uh, lastly, and the reason that I chose this to be the first one is I see so many mistakes when I walk around practices and see kids who are practicing the approach and, and making some, I think, fundamental errors that, that are easy to clean up. So uh, I want to get into it. And uh, when I think about the approach, I think the most of the controversies between, hey, how many steps should the approach be? How, what do you do with that? Well, one of the things I really believe, and I think we're going to touch on this, is basically that it's not two, three, or four. You need a variety of approaches, right? Even a one-foot takeoff, like a slide approach, that's not necessarily maybe the first approach we teach them, but I think they need a variety of different footworks in order to be able to hit a bunch of different sets. I'm right with you, and that's why we're going to start with actually a two-step. And I like uh, in the, the beginning teaching a two-step, teaching a three-step, and teaching a four-step. And if for every skill, I really want to focus on keywords and keywords are important because they allow us to chunk information and make it so it's easy to teach and easy to, for kids to, to go back to and kind of cling on to those keywords. So my first one for spike approach is ready. And ready means that there's a forward lean. Uh, I like the right foot slightly in front of the left foot for a right-handed attacker. And it's just a, a comfortable leaning position. They're not necessarily low. Uh, they're just slightly flexed and leaning. So that's the first one is ready. Okay. After ready, we get into the actual pattern. And the pattern is right, left, right, left. 
And so it's, there's a timing element where it's slow in the beginning, it's walk to run. And then the third uh, key is arms. And we want a double arm lift. And if we look at that right, left, right, left, and we coordinate the arms with that, the first, for the first two steps, the right, left, we want the arms to just hang, they don't move. And so it, it's right, left, the arms don't do anything. And then on that third step, you swing them back. And on the fourth step, they're coming up. So it's, it's right, left, back up. Uh, if we're to coordinate the arms with the feet there. And finally, the last key is two feet. We wanna jump off two and land on two. So if we're to, to review those four keywords for me, uh, ready, right, left, right, left, arms, two feet. And those are the cues that we use for, for teaching. What, when you think about teaching the pros, what comes to mind for you? Well, there's two things that come to mind. The first is I really liked how you said right, left, Right, left. You're doing that intentionally, right? Do you want to just go into a little bit real quick of why you're saying it with that cadence? We want it to be slow to fast. And, and it's, it's, we know that hitters are always early and we want them to start slowly. And so that timing of, of starting slowly and saying it that way, we make our hitters say the, the words as they do it. So they get a, a feel for the rhythm and the tempo of an approach. And if you watch great attackers, you will see that happening with that, with that tempo. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the only other thing I would say is, like you mentioned, everyone's always early, right? It, it, it's not specifically footwork related, but it is related because... They have to arrive to the set on a particular time. So they need to pattern their footwork. And then that's an important reason why we do pattern the approach. If they were just doing different footwork every time, then their timing of their jump would be different every time. So it's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, there. you were telling me a story about uh, uh, practicing that, that, that uh, approach. Yeah, so my, my good friend, Evan Hook, when we were growing up, was a really good player, but he was goofy-footed for a long time. And get into goofy foot. What's that? Mean? Oh, so goofy footed means when you're taking the last two steps backwards from what you should. So right handers should be ending up with right left. Why? Why? Why does it matter? Why? So when you're using your last two steps as right left, if you're a right hander, it allows you to open your body and close it in a torquing action that really helps you hit hard. Basically, if you're doing left, right, you can get some torque, but it's much more difficult to open up your body and then close it up against your, your opposite hip. Yeah, if that, if that right foot ends up way ahead of you, you really can't hit angle. Yes. Uh, so maybe you turn down the line and we see, you know, left side attackers who are goofy foot. Uh, they can, they like to hit the ball line, but it's hard for them to hit, have a lot of range to hit the ball angle with that goofy footed approach. Absolutely. Uh, so my buddy starts to see sort of the writing on the wall that, you know, like you mentioned, he can't really crank angle. And so every day on the way home from school, he walked home 
and he's just doing his approach, you know, walking home, doing his approach. And maybe it's two steps, maybe he walks a little bit and then just does the last two, maybe there's a four step approach. And you know what, within a very short time, he had his approach down. So it was really cool to see that develop. Hey, I think the approach is a great thing to give for homework. I Absolutely. think the homework, I tell him, hey, uh, you go to the refrigerator, right, left, right, left, send a text message, Right, left, right, left. And, you know, if you get in a habit of doing a bunch of those and, and wrap it around those things you do at home, you can get a bunch of approaches in and, and learn the footwork a lot faster. That's really cool. So what are some things that you do to teach this? The first activity, actually, it's one of the videos. And we'll talk about that a little later is we call it Flamingo. And so the player starts on one foot for right handers. They would start on their left foot. Uh, with their right foot behind them back in the air, like a flamingo. So they're okay. on, on one step. And so all they get then is two steps and then jump and swing and then jump and hit. Uh, important part of the, probably the most important part of the flamingo for me and when I look at the mistakes that, that hitters make is they're too tight to the net. So having them plant on their left foot behind the 10 foot line is huge for me so that flamingo starts behind the 10 foot line so when they take their two steps they end up uh you know around the four or five foot line we don't want the players closer to the net that's one of the big mistakes that that beginners make and i see them uh they're way too close to the net they have bad geometry for hitting it over especially if they're they're smaller and they don't they don't jump very well as most young players are are uh in that boat so flamingo would be the first one uh from the flamingo we simply just add steps to the back end of it so the flamingo is two steps that fast right left and then we say okay instead of starting on your left foot you're going to put that right foot on the ground and take a small left step so now it's a three-step approach it's a left and once again that left step is on or behind the 10-foot line and then right left and then finally we add that right step and for me that right step it's not even a step it's almost just a two inch pick your foot up and put it down and that gives them some rhythm and slows them down a little bit because you were saying before everybody's early why do i like four steps well it's a small step that slows hitters down and hey i've been playing the game for what you know 40 40 something years and i'm still early on the beach i still run <laughs> under it. Still early. i still yeah. run under it so uh from flamingo to adding steps okay. and then we tee hit so i just hold the ball up there on a tee and they jump and swing if they miss uh it's my fault and they jump and swing and jump and swing. They don't wait for the ball. There's no timing involved. They jump and swing. So flamingo, add steps, tee hitting. And, and on the tee hitting, one of the things you have done that I've seen that I really like is you make the players actually call out loud the step they're on. Yep. So they have to call right, left, right, left. If they don't, I pull the ball down and they go into the end of the line. Like so that. no talk, no hit. I like that. I uh, like that. Simple. Uh, yeah, behavior modification, old old style coaching here. It was also creating a, a link between the intention, right? Which is super key. You know, what are we actually trying to do here? I've seen a lot of times when we coach youth, they'll they'll actually believe they're doing it right. 
and they're not, right? So if they're saying it, it creates one more layer of awareness to their intention of trying to get the correct thing. Well, I, there's two more things. There's a rhythm to it, number Absolutely. one. And I think that, you know, these kids know rhythm. They know all kinds of songs. They know all kinds of dances. Yeah. And can we make this just another little rhythm <laughs> yeah. habit that they have? Uh, That's a and it's... Uh, the next thing is we want to teach young players how to communicate and they're going to be shy. And so getting them to just automatically say it uh, gets words out of their mouth. If they don't, if, they, if I can't hear them, I'm like, hey, I'm an old man. You got you to you gotta say it, not whisper it to yourself, but you got to say it so an old man like me can, can hear it. I like that. I think that's really cool. Where do we go next after that? We got the T hitting. So the, the, the last one I'm going to throw in is what we call 423 approaches. And this is our, this is a warm up routine for us. So uh, I stole this actually from, uh, I stole this from Woody, our, 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 our friend Woody. Oh, I, I and Woody. Uh, Woody was a great coach. And so I went to his practice and I stole this from Woody. And so he was warming up and he had his team in three lines. And on the left side, they were doing four step approaches on the left. In the middle, they were kind of in flamingo doing two step. And then on the right, they were doing three. Okay. And so they were going through that and they went through that every time. And then they're transitioning back off the net using some specific footwork there. That's probably for another pod getting into transition footwork. Uh, but we call that 423 approaches like and that. we do that. I'd much rather have kids doing uh, meaningful game-like footwork rather than just jogging or do something like that in warm-up. So, That's a great idea. So uh, from there, it's really all about troubleshooting. When you think about troubleshooting, when, when you're teaching approaches, what, what are the problems that you have? Well, I just want to throw it back to the same one I said earlier, is that everyone is always early and it is related to the approach, right? So if we can get them to delay and to learn to accelerate, I think that that's an important problem to solve. And there's lots of ways to do that, but I think that that's a problem to, that, that will be presented that we need to troubleshoot. Yeah, the, the thing with timing, Dave, is probably this is one of the, the most important things that I've done in teaching the approach lately is trying to have the players linked to something to begin their approach. What can they link it to? And so if they're not timing it, so if I'm tossing the ball, let's say, I'm saying, hey, take your first two steps. They have to call right, left, and they have to go slowly. And then I'm tossing it about antenna high, and then they take their next two. And so I'm doing the timing for them because I'm tossing the ball. But if they're there with a setter, then I'm saying, hey, when the ball is in the setter's hands, I want you taking your right step. And then I'll have everybody, let's say if we have a line, hopefully our line, our heading line isn't too long. I like, you know, two, three in the line maybe. Right. But I make those players responsible for calling that right step. So when the ball is in the setter's hands, everybody in line is saying right. And that player, everybody can take that little right step. And so they're just practicing that timing. And I think that's one way to troubleshoot and give them, have them link their approach to something happening. Ball in the setter's hand. Some timing cues, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. That's good. What else? What else for trouble? So I mentioned it before, and but it bears mentioning again because this is the biggest mistake: is spacing. So I want that left step or their second step 
of a four-step approach to be on or behind the 10-foot line. So they need space uh, off the net, what we call out of the box. Okay, the box being that 10-foot line box. They have to be out of there, and they're, they're, those first two steps are small, so they're not in the box with that left step. So that's probably the, the, the biggest thing I see as far as uh, problems that's easy to correct. Uh, and then can I real quick, what's the problem with jumping too tight? I mean, I can see some obvious ones like jumping under the net, but what else? Well, most hitters, you talk about them being early. And I think along with being early, most hitters are under the ball. So the ball is behind them. And especially with beginners, one of the ways that they get the ball over the net is they run under it and hit it behind their head, which causes the ball to go up. But it's bad for their shoulders and bad for their back. And we want that ball in front of them. So if you're jumping at four feet off the net and you're jumping forward, you're going to be, and the ball set four feet off the net, the ball is going to be way behind you. And you're not going to have power. You're not going to have range. You're not going to be able to see the block. So can we keep the ball in front of the attacker? And so it's huge for them to stay back behind the ball. So along with being early, there's, there's an idea of time and space. Yes, and I would just say getting rid of this idea of setting the ball close to the net too. Yep. Right, like that we're going to set it off the net. You're going to be off the net. And those things will work together. Just hey, my buddy John Kessel would say, hey, why are you even starting on the net? He would say, hey, all of our stuff, we start hitting 10 foot line, approach at 20 and hit it 10 feet. Might be something to be said for that. Good point. Absolutely. So what else are we looking at? So some common feedback that you might be giving? Yeah, the, the one thing is when we look at the plant, I think a lot of players, beginners especially, they'll come in and if you watch them plant, they'll have their feet perpendicular to the net. And so their toes will be facing the net. And we want them at that 45 degree angle, like you talked about before, so they can open up their shoulder to hit with range. So we want their feet, what does their foot plant look like? Uh, So that's one thing I look at. And then uh, the last thing, and maybe something that that, uh, is relatively new for me, uh, a cue that I use is, hey, swing on your way up. I like this. Uh, and I make them swing when they do approaches. Because if you just, if you watch your, your players do approaches and swing, you'll notice their hand comes through the contact point. Most of the time, they're descending. And we see pictures of, you know, the, the great attackers. And, you know, Davis, you were a high flyer in your day. You were a high flyer. So <laughs> For you about could, a year. You could jump. And you could take some time to prepare your arm because you were in the air so long. But my young 10-year-olds, they barely get off the ground. Their arm has to be prepared fast. So they got to jump and swing. They can't wait for that. So those are really the the troubleshooting areas that that I attack when I I see problems. I love that. And if coaches could narrow in on those and just – take a look at their hitters while they're going through, they'll probably notice some of those, those common uh, areas of feedback. Yep. And I, I think a, a lot of times, Hey, if you, uh, I'll give you one more thing to say here. Uh, you know, in the old days, I was a, I was a great error detector. So I go, Oh, you're making an error there. You're making an error there. My, what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to catch someone doing it right. And then using that as a model. 
So rather than pointing out and saying, oh, your left step is in the box, you got to stay off the net, I'll say, oh, look at Megan. Look at, uh, look at how she keeps that ball in front of her. Hey, let's everybody copy Megan. And then if we find a hitter, let's say, Davis, it's you. And I'll go, oh, Davis, you look like Megan now. You're doing it. And now you feel good about it. Megan, of course, feels good about it. And instead of me, you know, harping on people because they don't do something, I'm, I'm trying to be a, a little more positive in my old age. Well, and I, I just love that approach, really. I mean, it, it is empowering, to, right? It's super uh, fun when you can find demos from the group. They love it and it's actually a more realistic demo right like we're so experienced that when we demo there are advanced things going on where a, a player who's more similarly aged or skilled they can demo and if they're demoing it right it's almost proof of concept right yeah like it's this can be done by a player your age and skilled. exactly yeah. exactly i like it well hey i think we uh we uh, hit that pretty hard on, on the approach. I've been excited about the scenario, Davis. I want to know what you're throwing at me today. Uh, so where are we going with the scenario? Okay, so here is the story, okay? Many years back, I was a new coach at a school and a high school varsity team who had had relatively little success. Um, and I had a my best player, who was a very good player and could get regularly 15, 20 kills in a match. Jeez. You know, she could I, score. I, I, I'll take some of those players at my high school. <laughs> <laughs> she, she could score it, that's for sure. But she was not a hard worker. What and, do you mean by that? So that's a great question, right? Because I think one of the things we got to think about is what does it mean to be a hard worker? At that time, I was a relatively young coach. This was many years back. And um, I think my definition of what a hard worker is uh, has changed. But at that time, I wouldn't see floor moves, right? I wouldn't see diving for the ball. I wouldn't see assignments unless they were right in front of her you know, um, off blocker coverage, you know, making a, a being a secondary blocker, um, you know, covering all these things that matters to coaches um, were not happening. And really what was valued was the scoring, right? The putting the 15 to 20 points on the board and she would get a block or two here or there, but wasn't engaged in serve receive, you know, wasn't engaged really in the improvement process. And so I really interpreted that to um, as this player doesn't work hard. And it really put a cap on how good we are because she was our best player by far. Now I made some mistakes along the way, <laughs> but let's talk about this. What can you tell me or someone that might encounter a similar situation where their best player, they need this player to win. If quote unquote, they need this player to win but they're not quote unquote working hard. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'll give you a couple things that come to mind for me uh, when I've been in that situation. Uh, first of all, I, I think when I was a young coach, I, I maybe believe like you did, oh, that kid's just lazy and doesn't care. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean enough to them. Like it means more to me and they have no heart. And I, I would have this, all these kind of cliched definitions of this. And I've really tried to get away from that. And now I would say, hey, uh, whatever that behavior is, if it's a floor move, that's a talent. 
And if it's transition, that's a talent. If it's playing off blocker defense, that's a talent. And if she's not very good at it, then I have to do a better job of teaching it. And so uh, what I would do is obviously there's attacking things that she does very well and you need that. So, uh, you know, benching that person and saying, hey, that's going to change the behavior. Uh, that's not going to help your team. So I don't see that as a, as a great remedy. What I would say is probably what is the lowest hanging fruit with that player? So is there something like, hey, well, she doesn't transition very hard. And when she isn't transitioning hard, she doesn't hit as well. So let's start with transitioning harder. And we're going to create a drill and practice for all of our outside hitters, even though she might be the one I'm really thinking about. Everybody has to do it. And if they don't transition hard, they don't get to hit. And so my guess is if she likes to hit, I'm going to try to link my instruction to something she likes to do. And then if she makes the change, then she gets more reps and gets to hit. And if we can take that idea and then put that into six on six and do the same thing. So maybe we're playing six on six and I have that player and I have another outside hitter and I'm flip-flopping them in and out depending on how they transition. So we call that dog housing. And so, hey, then, oh, you didn't transition. You got to stay out for a couple of plays and then watch the other player play. Oh, she missed it. She's out, you're in. And you earn your right to play by making some behavior changes. And it's not, hey, we're not picking on her. It's this, this all outside hitters have to do it. And then can we build on that skill and say, hey, what's our next one? Rather than, I think, you know, what I would do is I would go, oh, she doesn't do this. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do this. And it piles up on, it's impossible. She just doesn't have any heart. There's no way I can change that. Uh, so that would probably be my my way to attack it. What did you do? Let me well, hear your story. Well, I'll tell everyone what not to do, at least in my experience, because this did not work. Um, I did a lot of what you're talking about, and it became, well, I would rant and rave and complain and call her out in front of the other girls and make the team run. And Ooh, that all, one hurts. That one's bad. And, and I'm, I've learned, right? And uh, what it became was a uh, attack on her character. And she became super resentful towards me. And even though in my heart, I'm trying to make her better, she saw it as a, um, a defense mechanism, essentially, because of me attacking her. I like the idea of what you're talking about, about going after the low hanging fruit. Like, what does she like to do? Like, does she like to hit? Well, let me get after some good habits on hitting and then try to anchor the progress she's made on that into something else. You know, it, it, the positive reinforcement, though, if it's not happening at all, it's difficult to find that positive reinforcement. But that's where I think my patience needed to. I need to be more patient. I need I need to have more patience with this uh, process, you know. And I'm I'm a first year coach. I want to make this big impression and win all these games. And this girl's a senior, and you know, I think my lack of patience kind of did me in. It. Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, I remember when I was uh, I, when I was a young coach. I would I was listening to Brian Jimalaro, who was at Long Beach, and he said, "Hey." That's every coach. Your biggest weakness is your lack of patience. And uh, I, I remember that uh, to this day. So uh, 
That's a good scenario, though. I, I love that one because it gets you thinking on, hey, uh, I got one more question about that sure. scenario. Did you have conversations with her as far as developing a plan, maybe have her write something down like, hey, for us to be really good, we have to have an improvement plan for you too. What are the things that you want to improve? Could you try to get something from her rather than it being imposed from you? I, I totally imposed my own will <laughs> or tried to. <laughs> And that's one of the things I learned is you really can't impose your will. If someone is willful enough, it doesn't matter how strong your will as a coach. Like you can kick someone out. If they're not going to buy in, they're not going to buy in no matter how much you push. Right. So that was a big mistake I made. And I, I live and learn and I'm hopefully better now. But Yeah, I've um, seen you. I've seen you, Davis. You're a little better now. Yeah, yeah I've but, seen your teams. Yeah. And I've seen you uh, communicate with your kids. And that's, I think, one of your, uh, you know, strong areas. When I look at you as a coach, I'm like, hey, Davis is a, he's such a positive, great communicator. When I come around and watch your practice, I'm going, gosh, that guy's got a real good, good, it's just a good vibe in your team. When I watch your teams, it's fun. Yeah, thanks. But I think it also comes from going through these scenarios. Yep. You know what I mean? So hopefully some people can pick up on some of this stuff and and learn from our, you know, mistakes. And that's a great successes. first scenario. Yeah. Davis. I like that one. Thank you. So, so I guess we're going to throw it back to some drills now that you can find on the Art of Coaching website. Yep. Awesome. We have uh, three of them that I found and uh, shameless plug on the first one. The first one is one of my drills and it's just a basic flamingo drill. We talked about it in the skills portion. Uh, you'll see all beginning players. They're starting on their left foot on the 10 foot line and doing what we call dummy approaches, uh, approaches first with no ball, and then doing some tee hitting after that. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is from Lucas Labe, who was the assistant uh, on the women's national team that won the gold medal. And Luca is teaching double arm lift. And the, the cool thing about that video is he has college players demoing and there are three players and they're all different. One is very good, one is okay, and one is pretty weak when it comes to that double arm lift. So okay. coaches and players can see all examples of all three. That's really cool. Awesome. And the last one is one from the coach at UCLA, Mike Seeley. And Coach Seeley gets into what he calls the prowl step. Uh, which is that left step making it slow and then exploding out of that prowl step. All right, Davis, those are our three drills that we have for the spike approach. Really cool. And you can find those uh, in our show notes. You'll find those links to the Art of Coaching site, and those videos will be easy to access. Absolutely, and they're great resources for you to check out. But speaking of resources, I have one great resource that has been an absolute game changer for me that I'd love to share with everyone. I am not sponsored by these people, but I would love to be. Just kidding, kind of. You're but, a big dancer. I know that, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the app is called Bust a Move. And it was originally for dancers, but it is a video delay app. And basically, it is one of the most useful tools I use in my gym. You can put the video on a player, set it on any delay length you like for up to two minutes, and have the player view it back. You can also split it into four different delays so that the athlete can see themselves watch it four different times. This is 
basically what they call immediate feedback, <laughs> immediate video feedback, and it has been absolutely wonderful. Have you ever used anything like this? Yeah, we uh, we've used Busted Move. It's fun, and the the good thing that I like about it, uh, we would have a coach there sometimes with the video with the player but i actually found it more useful without the coach yep. so the player would just use it as a resource for them uh to improve and that they had questions about it then they could ask I other than that. that they're just checking it out and we might give them a certain key say hey we want to you know look at what your you know uh arm looks like when you're leaving the ground or something whatever that is and then just have them do it rather than a coach i love that and i would say i, I use it really for two things the main thing is for difficult changes that are difficult for them to feel they might need to see themselves do it um and then the other thing I love to use it is when they do a really good one. I'm like, go look at yourself four times. That was so good. And then it helps get the, you know, it, that feeling ingrained in their body, I think. Yep. Right. There's something to be said for that picture. You know, we talk about visualization and that idea they have that picture in their head of them doing it right. And Bust a Move is a great one. Absolutely. Great resource. Yeah. And they like it. So they like to watch themselves and they get a little silly from time to time. But it's so so key you can just set up an ipad on a on a tripod or even your phone really and they can set it up it's it's a really great resource yeah even a, a non-techie like me can do it that's cool it's super cool so that's the first episode of the volleypod we are thrilled to have you we are powered by the art of coaching volleyball and looking forward to next episode i am too davis that was fun good Absolutely. job we're looking to have an episode about every week so check us out. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. With that said, see you on the next pod.